This is one-on-one's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. Welcome into another episode of Five on Three, WFUV's NHL podcast, alongside Mike Messina. I am Chris Hennessy. We got a lot to get to today, Mike. Um, and we're going to start with uh, not only the hottest team in town, but the hottest team in the league, and that is the first place New York Islanders, as they embark on, um, as we've talked about multiple times over the past couple of weeks, the really tough part of their schedule now. Yeah, yeah, this might be the toughest, the toughest part of their schedule they have all year. And like you've been saying, I think last episode and the episode before, they had to get, they had to steamroll through the first two, three weeks of March, and that's exactly what they did. They, yeah, nine straight wins, three against Buffalo, not that impressive. One against Boston, in which they played really well. Um, the Yaroslav Alok was insane for Boston in that game. They end up winning 2-1 in the shootout, another 4-1 against Boston, even though um, Boston is re- – 4-0, excuse me, against Boston. They are absolutely reeling. Uh, and then they beat three – they take three games in a row against New Jersey. Almost, got, almost not. <laughs> that, that, that offsides call in overtime really helped them out. Uh, it did. It did, but it was offsides. Oh, yeah, completely offsides. Good it, call, but – I want to know if you go back and look at the replay, everybody go in the NHL app and hit the recap and you'll see the goal. That doesn't count for PK Subban. There is a ref directly across the ice from Jesper Brat, who is looking down the blue line. His only job is to make sure that the puck goes in first and he gets the call wrong. How does that guy get that call wrong? I, I don't know. I have, I have a lot NHL officials. And not even NHL officials are one thing, but uh, man, all officials. <laughs> Angel Hernandez shouldn't be umpiring uh, baseball games anymore. He should not. And well, if you're a Knicks fan, you're thinking the same thing today. Yeah, too. from so, last night, all around, just, man. Official, <laughs> all, all around um, officiating. But they do play Washington t- today. Tonight is Tuesday. Um, as you hear this, you might know how it ends. Um, two against Philly at home, then Philly, Boston, Boston, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh on a uh, quite the road trip to end the month of March here. Let's um, be real though, Chris, real quick. How, how much, how, how long can they sustain what they're doing? Like I mean, how, how long is this possible? Can they, can they not lose in the entire month of March in the entire month of March? Is that possible? This is the thing with the Islanders over the last three years, Mike, anything is possible. And that includes the worst. So if you remember last year, just before we got sent home, I was in a full panic because the Islanders had lost eight, seven or eight straight games. They lose to Carolina. And I talk about horrible officiating, terrible call. I'm still mad about it over a year later. Um, that was the last home game, March 7th. And they went to Vancouver. They lost that game. They lost seven or eight straight games. They're now out of the playoffs completely. And, and, and it, they're really, it looks like they're going to miss the playoffs. And they lost the teams that they had beaten in the 17-game point streak earlier in that season. So the reality of it is they can do anything. And I can they beat every single team that I just listed off? Probably not. But I do think that they – let me just count uh, three, six, seven, eight. I think that they can win five of them. Only two of them are at home, which is going to be tough. Even with no fans, they've been dominant at home, and the fans are coming back now. They've been dominant against Boston. Those are two of those games. I, I mean, 5-2-1 and one doesn't seem too unrealistic. But and, and if they went 0-7-1, oh, 
I I don't think that they're going to go seven and one. But if they went seven and one, on our podcast that we'll record on on March thirtieth, I'll I'll be screwing my head off because it's going to be the same thing as as last year. So can they win every game? No, but well, yes, but they're not going to. Um, but the thing is, they can lose every game too because they're a weird, streaky team that relies on defense and goaltending and. If that falters, they don't have the offensive power, especially now with Anders Lee out, and we could talk about that in a minute, to to go up against a team like Washington. Let's say take tonight, for example. They're playing Washington, who's won five straight games. Ovechkin ties Esposito with 717 last night uh, as he gets much closer to 895 than I ever thought he would on the all-time goals list. Um, he... If if they find a way to beat Varlamov tonight four times, the Islanders don't have the ability to score five or six goals. They don't. They, they've scored against Boston, the now seven-goal game that was very fluky, and against Buffalo, they scored five goals. They don't – against a really good team, they do not have the ability to score six goals. Yeah, and that that's exactly what they need to do in order to win these next six, seven games. They need to score as many goals as possible. you got JG back, so he's going to be a great – help in order to win these games but Dobson being out like you said Anders Lee being out I don't know if they can go all season without losing to Boston they've been dominating all year long but these two games in Boston are going to be crucial for both the Islanders and the Bruins if they want to be first place in the division and I don't I don't know if the Islanders are going to be able to just constantly constantly beat Boston game after game after game I know some are close but there comes a point where you have to think to yourself like is this possible like for a team as good as Boston what are the Islanders doing to them that they can't win I mean they're they're playing amazing I they're, they're a whole different team when they play Boston than when they play anybody else and I, I don't understand why it's crazy it, it is pretty crazy um especially you know being an Islander fan my whole life you, that's one of the teams that they just couldn't beat and Boston, Washington, and Pittsburgh, when they came up on the schedule, it's like, okay, let's chalk that one up as a loss. We'll, we'll move on. It's all right. Get, get them next time. They never did. And now they've beaten Boston four times. Now, the thing is, all four Boston games have been at the Coliseum, and now they have to play four games at TD Garden. So we'll see how that goes. But They, they don't have an easy April either. No. They, uh, we, I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Yeah. They have a very easy final week of the season in which they have two against the Rangers, two against Buffalo, two against New Jersey. Yeah. But between now and then, they have a couple games sprinkled in with the Rangers in April, but it's Washington, Philly, Boston, Pittsburgh all the way. Actually, Pittsburgh ends after March, so it's Washington, Philly, Boston for most of the month of April. But uh, we'll spring it back to the Andersley injury because – this is really interesting um, for a lot of reasons. The first reason, well, let's, he undisclosed injury as of right now, lower body. It was certainly his right leg. You can see it in the play. Um, and it is, it's brutal. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, this is a loss that is, it's not insurmountable for the team. I don't want to say that. I think that only person, the only people that that is true for are Matt Barzell, Ryan Pulak, Adam Pellick and Semyon Varlamov. I think it is a surmountable loss, but it, it I hearing what players have said in the post-game interviews since that injury, I think that it is it is a, a catastrophic loss for this team because 
you're looking at the captain who has the most goals on the team so far. Barry Trout's called him just two weeks ago, the most consistent offensive player they've had all season long. He is a, a quite a bit removed from his 40 goal season, but uh, he's still an offensive uh, piece in that in front of that net that is hard to replace. Now, Kiefer Bellows has come in three goals in two games playing on that first line, and he's been great. But we're going to talk about the trade deadline a lot next week. But the reason it's interesting is because they have placed him on the long-term injured reserve, which means $7 million is now available in terms of cap space to add. The Islanders had $1 million in cap space coming into the season. There is a player um, whose name rhymes with Haler Tall that is getting paid $8 million this year. Uh, you can put together, you could put it all together and figure out that Taylor Hall could be a New York Islander. Um, so I think the Andersley injury is terrible, but very interesting for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And if the Islanders get Taylor Hall, being able to add him to an already potent and strong and fast roster is just going to absolutely help the Islanders and be able to steamroll through the other teams in the division because that, like that, that's a huge pickup and having that 8 million in cap space now you have to imagine that they're hundred percent looking at him, and there's going to be discussions throughout the trade deadline to see if they can get him on the team. And you can't, you can't really throw that option out of the way now because I haven't not, not that I haven't seen anything about it, but it just makes sense, man. With Anders Lee being out, why would you not want Taylor Hall to be the guy to come and pick up that slack that's left there now? Yeah. I, I think if, for the Buffalo angle, they're going to trade Taylor Hall because they've lost all leverage. Jack Eichel's hurt now. If he's hurt at the trade deadline, he's probably not going to get traded. Um, and that that is that's terrible for Eichel. I feel so bad for him. He's, he's oh. on IR too. Um, so they've lost all leverage. This is basically the only guy that they can trade to get assets for that isn't Rasmus Dallin, who I assume they don't want to trade. Um even he's not that. I he, I haven't seen anything from him from him this year. Ovechkin was going in and out of him last night. Yeah, that was a sick move. In and out. Um, like they just look disinterested. Buffalo. I I, I am really high on Rasmus Dahlin personally, but uh, yeah, he looked very disinterested on that Ovechkin play, and I, I, it just feels so right. But also, every single team in the league gets better by adding Taylor Hall. Like the Islanders are not alone on that. Every single team in the National Hockey League gets better with Taylor Hall in their first line, except for like Boston and Colorado and Vegas. That's about it. That, that about concludes the list. And even those teams would love to have a score in their depth, their depth like Arizona had last year. So I, to me, I think that you have to consider it. Look at what happened when you gave up your first round pick last year. You went to the Eastern Conference Final. And you now you've signed that guy. I don't think they're going to sign Taylor Hall long term because they don't have the money to do it. But I, it it just makes a lot of sense with the Andrews Lee injury. Okay, I I, I got we got off on a, a trade deadline tangent there, but uh, big game for the Islanders tonight is basically the 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 thesis of this this segment. JG Pajo is back after the weirdest half an hour on Twitter I've ever seen in my life. I wasn't watching the pregame. For, for the five o'clock game on Sunday. And it's like 4.15 and I check my phone and JG Pajo isn't on the Islanders roster. And it's like, what? And somebody in Arthur Staples replies on Twitter said that I just heard he got traded to Montreal. And I was about to throw a fit in a shop, right? 
<laughs> I was at ShopRite looking at my phone and I thought I just saw Padgett got traded to Montreal. I was like, that can't be true. And I'm like scrolling through. It's like, ah, oh, it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. What but he ended up on the COVID list. Dobson I don't get it. What happened? I didn't, I didn't hear that rumor until you just said that. What, what would you guys have traded for him? I don't get well, it. No. So that's the thing. It wasn't a rumor. It was just some idiot in the replies looking for an idiot who's looking through his phone and not watching the pregame show to, to, to bite. And I, and I bit, I'll admit that I bit, but some guy goes into, it was either, either Andrew Gross or Arthur Staple, who are Islander three reporters, um, into their replies and said, I heard Pajot got traded to Montreal. And I'm like, you got to be And I'm like, I'm looking at my phone. I'm supposed to be grocery shopping. I'm looking at my phone. And, and then it's like, JG Pajot on the COVID list. I was like, oh, thank God. Like, not that I want him to get COVID, but thank God. He's not Much good. better than getting traded. Oh, my God. Getting traded to Montreal. And then Noah Dobson gets pulled from the game at the last minute in the weirdest, weirdest thing. He warms up with the team. He gets pulled. The game still happens. Sebastian Ajo steps in for him. First time all season he's played. He gets an assist in the first five minutes of the game on the Kiefer Bellows goal. Crazy, crazy game. And then, of course, the missed offside call. But Peugeot plays tonight. Dobson still on the COVID list, so we'll see about that. We've got about five hours till the game starts, so plenty of time. But Chris, um, that's what I don't understand. <laughs> he gets pulled after skating, after warm-ups, but they can still play the game? I I so we'll go a little inside FUV. The the staff assignments came out on Saturday and all the Islanders games were listed or Sunday. And I texted Eman, I'm our source manager Emmanuel, and I said, Hey, just so you know, like two Islanders players are on the COVID list and they just played against New Jersey. So like, there's going to be a COVID pause for both teams. Like I was basically like, they're not playing a game this week. And then all of a sudden Pajos off the list and they played the game and no COVID list for the devils, no COVID list for the Islanders. So <laughs> this is kind of the, the beauty of Lula, this is kind of the beauty of Lula Morello. We have no idea. Um, and he keeps everything very secretive. That's been true since he was in New Jersey. That was true at the trade deadline last year with JG Pajot and that whole deal. But I, <laughs> it's like, what do JG Pajot and Noah Dobson have in common that the rest of the team doesn't? Like, that's what I don't understand. Like, why were they the close contacts? And no one else. And nobody else was. That's why, like, and if this is not even the first time this has happened throughout the league. Yeah, exactly. Or, or any so, league, like. Who makes these protocols? Sure, they have these protocols in place. But if if two people get put on the list, one already skates for his pregame skate, how do you just take him off and play? I'm If they want to keep him on and play, sure. Oh, that's another story. But I feel like if you're taking someone off after pregame skate, you have to postpone the game. And the Pajot isn't positive for COVID. He's playing yeah. tonight. We don't know if Dobson's positive for COVID yet. We have no idea. So if he comes back positive, then this is a whole other thing. But if it was like the two of them went somewhere and they saw somebody who tested positive and they're close contacts and they're waiting for a negative test, then it's fine. Then, then, okay, I get it. But um, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know the, I don't know everybody on the Islanders very like personally, I don't necessarily see JG Pasho and Noah Dobson as social friends. Maybe I'm wrong. I have no idea. Um, we have spent 15 minutes on the Islanders, which I love to do. But um, there are other teams. So <laughs> we'll move on to the Rangers. Artemi Panarin is back on the team um, after his 17-day absence, February 22nd to March, I think it was like the 9th, um, 7th, something like that. Um, he comes back to practice first. He misses the game against the Bruins. That was the final game. Missed. Comes back for the second game, 
which they won four to nothing. Plays last night against Philadelphia. They lose five four in overtime, but he has a goal to assist. After the game, he says he will discuss what happened. He will discuss where he was. He will tell everybody what happened, but he wants to play the season out first, not have any distractions, just kind of forget about it until May, and then discuss it. I think that that is the best thing he can do. He he has hired, or the Rangers have hired, some pretty good PR people because that's a pretty smart move. Say, like, look, you're going to get the answers. You deserve the answers. But we need to focus on the next game right now. And we need to focus on what we did wrong against the Flyers to improve for next time. They're not that far into the playoff spot. They held serve very well when Panarin was out. They were four and five without him. Um, and now he's back and, and he has a positive impact in game two. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the best possible option they can, they, they can make. Um, why, why, why talk about it if it's just going to distract you and the other teammates from playing the sport and potentially getting into a playoff spot? Like, I mean, it just makes no sense. I understand. I understand the question being asked that, that like, that's an obvious question that, that needs to be addressed and it will get addressed, but I love the move. I'm not addressing it now. It's something that doesn't affect any of our lives. So it's not that imperative to get an answer middle of the season in a playoff race where every game matters. So, so I love that, but Panera, man, he, the, the energy he brings to the team and the bench is unmatched, like three points in a second game back. And they played much faster, much more physical last night. And the, the, the difference he makes is huge. And all the, t- all of his teammates say week after week that, they've never played like they've never played with a player like Panarin and just everything he does for this team is amazing. And that just the difference he makes is huge. And like that, that's exactly what the Rangers need going forward is Panarin to step up, be the player he is not worry about all the outside drama that that's coming into his life in the team's locker room right now and just forget about it and play hockey. And I mean, that that's exactly what it seems like he's going to do. And I love to see that because that that's exactly what they need going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And um, no, I think you said it great. And there's not really much else to say because we don't know anything and he's back and he's um, still a phenomenal hockey player. But uh, one thing I wanted to run by, you just get your thoughts was Alex Georgiev. This is a guy who, when he came up, was another Lundqvist backup who played phenomenal, phenomenally, I should say. Um, and he was the one who who actually succeeded him in some kind of way, even though really it's Igor Shesterkin. Um, But um, he was not traded, unlike Antti Ranta. And, um, there's another one I can't remember right now. But Igor Shesterkin goes out, temporary IR stint, and what looked like a terrible injury against the Devils was just a groin strain not a groin pull. So he'll be back soon, but that leaves Alex Georgiev to be the starting goalie. And he's basically lost that job to Keith Kincaid right now. Um, Keith Kincaid played against Philadelphia last night. And to me, if you're playing at home on national television against the Flyers for the New York Rangers, you're the starting goal. Um, so Keith Kincaid is now the starter for the Rangers. Georgiev has looked terrible in a couple of games that he's played, especially that game against Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago where he gave up three goals in like a, just like a minute and a half or something like that. So uh, curious your thoughts, because if it's just Sturkin that has to bring this team to the playoffs single-handedly, I don't know that that's going to work. Georgiev stinks. Like, <laughs> especially as of late, man, he stinks. 
can't, can't save anything. Can't save anything. Shesterkin, yeah, you, you said it. He kind of did what was the predecessor to Lundqvist, but I think Shesterkin now has stepped in, and this is his team. He, he's the starting goalie. Obviously, he's hurt now. And Kincaid's really playing well. He had the, the overtime goal last night, but the Rangers gave up the puck in their own zone. Um, Lafreniere had the puck. Panarin came on the ice, lost the puck, circled out. Flyers got the, got the puck back and scored. But they're like the play of Georgiev lately has just not been there, man. He can't stop anything. Um, Shesterkin is playing amazing, too. Like, he has the injury right now. We thought it was going to be way worse, and thankfully it's not. But I don't know if uh, – you. I, I don't know if he's going to be able to take the entire team through the playoffs, potentially to a Stanley Cup. Not this season, obviously, but by himself. There's going to need to be somebody else who's not Kincaid or Georgiev to back him up or even be the starter. If Shesterkin's not the guy, then we need someone to be that guy who can come in day in, day out, night in, night out, and win games for us because that's the only way the Rangers are going to win games is if we have a solid goaltender, which we do. But right now we don't because he's injured, so we need someone. We need we need I, someone. I think Shesterkin is the guy. It's pretty clear. He has had an yeah. unfortunate injury history given the car accident just before the pause with Pavel Buchnevich and now this. <clears throat> but my question – regarding the Rangers, and we're not going to get the answer to this for a while, is is this just a slump for Alex Georgiev, or is he he falling off? And I think it is just a slump, because we've seen a lot of really good play from him over the past couple of seasons. And in the NHL right now, we've talked about this at length, you really need two goalies who can win you a game. And I think it maybe it didn't start, maybe this is a little bit too much credit, but it got entered the mainstream with the Matt Murray Penguins. Flurry gets hurt in the first round. Matt Murray steps in. They go win the Stanley Cup. Now, then you've seen it. The Islanders, since Trotz has gotten here, have only gotten two goalies. They they did not skimp on on Semyon Varlamov the year that Robin Leonard was a free agent because um, they knew they needed a second goalie. Now they have Elias Sorokin, who's their their big stud prospect, their number one prospect in the pool to be that second goalie. Um. And there are examples of it across the league. I think you look at Carolina. That's another example of it. Really, the only team that I can think of that isn't like that right now is Florida, who's having extreme success. They paid their goalie $11.5 million. Uh, Montreal is, is struggling because they have because Carey Price is the only goalie that can really win them a game. So I think Georgiev needs to be solid because you need a second goalie in the league right now to win to win you a game. And because there really aren't that many cupcakes. There are four cupcakes in the league right now, like Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa, New Jersey. Like that's pretty much it. Anaheim, I guess. Um, that's pretty much it. And and if you're not playing one of those five teams, you need a star goalie to, to win you the game. And the Rangers have that with the two star goalies, but right now Georgiev is just struggling and um, it's unfortunate, but he, he should get back into, into shape here. And, and um and, and when Shesterkin gets back and they're able to go kind of like an A-B situation, uh, I think that's what that's what benefits Georgiev the most. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think it's just a slump, like you said, but it's a slump that he has to break out sooner than later because they can't continue on every single week with just one goaltender and then a backup who has rarely any time in the league. So, mm-hmm. so they, he, he needs to either hop out of the slump or something needs to happen with him, like the coach need to talk to him or something like that, because he, he needs to get out of the slump and Shesterkin needs to get better as soon as possible because we need both of them to, 
play their best hockey. Yeah, no doubt. Um, we are going very long. So we're going to kind of skim over the Devils. Um, the Devils stink. They're really bad. Um, I I regret giving Lindy Ruff any credit. That was like four weeks ago I did. Because it really aggravated Jackson, which always makes me happy. So I don't, I, I take it back. I don't regret it. Um, but they are 0-9-2 in their last 11 home games. <clears throat> this is this is one of my favorite stats I've ever heard in my life. Um, they're 0-9-2 in their last 11 home games. The Sabres are winless in their last 11 games. Sabres at Devils Tuesday night, tonight. Get ready. It's something's be, ending right now. Something that something, something has to happen. It's the greatest thing I've ever heard. So be prepared for that one because you know, yeah, who cares? Number one and number two in the East, uh, playing in Washington. Islanders on a nine-game win streak. Yeah, who cares about that? Give me two games, two teams on an eleven-game losing streak. Just, just, just going at it. I'm very excited. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. I'm no, no interest in. And no, couldn't be less interested. Um, so I think there's literally nothing to mention with the Devils besides they might trade Kyle Palmieri, but we'll do that more next week. Okay. The big story is the ESPN story. We'll save that one for last because there were some really interesting comments from Eric Carlson that I want to get to. Eric Carlson, we all, all obviously know. He's a star defenseman in this league. He has struggled this year. He struggled last year as well. Um, but ever since going to San Jose, his first year there, they went to the conference final. Ever since then, they've been pretty terrible, especially the last two years. So now he comes out and he has these comments post-game basically saying I didn't come to San Jose to just go back to Ottawa was essentially his point. Like, uh, uh, let me, uh, I didn't sign here for a rebuild. I didn't, I came here to leave Ottawa. Now I feel like I'm just back in Ottawa. He inks a, he, he signed a, a deal for the rest of his career with San Jose. And now you have the flat cap coming in, right? Gary Bettman says, and we'll get to the ESPN deal, but Gary Bettman said that the, the cap will remain flat for the next four years, which means it's going to be very hard for any team to take on a significant cap for a long period of time. Eric Carlson is 30 years old. He is signed through the 2026-2027 season. That is one, two, three, four, five. That is six seasons after this one at $11.5 million a year. of the $81.5 million cap that is currently in the NHL, and as Gary Bettman said, will be in the NHL for the next four years. He is 30. Brent Burns is 36. He signed at $8 million a year through 2024-2025. Mark Edwarder Vlasic, 33, signed at $7 million a year through 2025-2026. Martin Jones, 31, signed at 5.75 through 2023-24. Those four contracts are abysmal. They're not good. The Jeff Skinner contract is probably the worst in the league, but all four of those are right up there. Eric Carlson did not go to San Jose for a rebuild. I understand that. He went there right after they went to the Cup. They went to the conference finals his first year. He signs his eternity deal. But he is there for a rebuild right now. And I understand his frustration. How can you not? They they, they go a couple games from going to the Cup and then – to what to what they're at now and i mean for a guy at his age clearly playing hockey at this point in his life to strictly go to the playoffs and potentially win a stanley cup trophy that to just have to restart everything is awful i mean 
it sucks. And the fact that he's probably going to be there the rest of his career is, I mean, it, it's, it's a business. I, I understand they can't surround their team with everybody Eric Carlson wants them to do, but to be in that position and sign that contract and pretty much write, just write, write the end of your career pretty much off at this point, it, it, it's unfortunate, man. It, it's no one wanted to see that for Carlson after leaving Ottawa coming after the first year, having a great year in them to where they're at now, man. Um, I, it, it stinks, but it is what it is. I mean, obviously he didn't sign up for a rebuild, but I'm sure no one signs up for a rebuild. So yeah, I, that's fair. That's fair. But I think the, the, the interesting part of this is he is part of the problem. Him, Car- uh, the guys, him, Burns, Vlasic, Jones, and Logan Couture combined for 49.4% of the cap. That's only five players. Mm-hmm. Like, roster's 23 deep, and they're taking up five, 50% of the cap. San Jose only has $2.3 million left in cap space. Ryan Donato is expiring after this year. Marcus Sorensen expiring after this year. Patrick Marlowe, you know they're going to resign him. And that's a, a Devin Dubnik, their backup goalie, expiring after this year. I don't see a way this this team can get to be very successful within the next three to four years. But I guess the good, good news with Carlson is that he's signed for the next next seven years. But they are cap strapped like like nobody's business. And with an expansion draft coming up, maybe that will help them. Maybe somebody will take away a big contract or Seattle will take away a big contract and that'll help them out. But, and he's not even playing well either. No, he's not. Yeah. He's not. That's the other thing. Genesis in 21 games. I mean, for someone getting paid that much money and to sign off for the next eight years of their life, I figured, or at least I expected them to be playing at their full potential and being the player that, that everyone knows he is. And it's just not happening this year. Yeah, without a doubt. He signed an eight-year, $92 million contract on June 17th, 2019. He's currently in year two of that. It's a no-move clause throughout the entire contract. It's tough. It's tough. And with the flat cap, nobody's going to trade for that. There's not a a team in the NHL who's taking that contract. Because nobody has that kind of cap space for that long of a period of time. And with, with the cap being in such question right now, with its with its flexibility, nobody's taking that contract. So he is in San, uh, San, Louis, San Jose for a very long time. Um, and hopefully they're able to get to the, cup, to the cup and he's able to win a cup because I think that'd be great for the organization to win their first Stanley Cup, for him to win a Stanley Cup after what he's been through. He's gone to two conference finals with Ottawa and San Jose. That's pretty good. But I don't know. If you're not expecting a rebuild, don't go to the Sharks. Yeah. I, I don't know. Or don't, don't re-sign with Ottawa, which he did do after his entry-level deal. But that's how I, that's how kind of, kind of how I see it. But I thought those comments were interesting. Uh, the last thing we're going to get to is the ESPN deal. Um, the NHL and NBC deal is expiring after this season. So the NHL went shopping and landed a big one. Uh, ESPN signs up for $400 million a year for the next seven uh, so a $2.8 billion contract headed the NHL's way. As I've mentioned a couple times, Gary Bettman had a press conference just after that. He spoke about um, the, the deal and, and what it means for the NHL and, and other things as well. He said that they are in su- they have so much escrow built up that this 
even with this deal and another TV deal coming on top of that, which we'll talk about in a minute, they're still going to have a flat cap for four years. Um, the deal has a couple of interesting pieces that I like, a couple of interesting pieces that I don't. One piece that I that I love is that there's going to be an A, D, an A network and a B network. If you think about the NBA, right, it's it's the hot, like well, the NFL is the most popular sport in, in the country. We know that, but the NBA is certainly second. They have the ESPN and the TNT. They have great personalities on TNT. They get all of the publicity from ESPN, first take, all that kind of stuff. So they have Stephen A. Smith aspect. They have the Shaquille O'Neal aspect. You're going to get that now at the NHL. Not Stephen A. Smith and Shaquille O'Neal, but you're going to get that with the NHL now. You can get some of Stephen A. Smith. You'll never know. He's, he's talking about it. Yeah, he did. He did mention a couple of things. He knew five things about the NHL, yeah. um, including that the Seattle Kraken were coming that Damian Woody is an Islander fan and the puck is black were three of the things. I I think the puck is black was his first thing, you know? Yeah. That was number one. He goes, the puck is black, which, Hey, you got to start somewhere. Um, but it, it's going to be, I think this is a really good deal for the NHL. I think, you know, they got, they were getting $200 million a year for every single game to be on the NA, to be on NBC. Now they're getting $400 million a year for half, for more than half of their games to be on ESPN. ESPN is getting four of the next seven Stanley cup finals and one conference final every single year. They're going to sign a B deal. We'll just call it that soon. That network will get one conference final year and three Stanley cups over the next seven years. Um, so I love that because there's going to be a lot of money coming into the NHL. The cap will go up eventually. Um, and it, it, I think it's going to be great. Thing I don't love, 75 exclusively streaming games on ESPN+. Plus. This is a direction that the industry is going. Um, I think in terms of it being the main negative, it's not that big of a main negative. I think a lot of people do have ESPN+. Plus. I think if you are a hockey fan, you pro- you might have the NHL TV package. That's now going away and moving over to the ESPN+. Plus. So you're probably going to have it for that purpose anyways. Um, so I think overall – it's a really good deal for the league and for the fans. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I I wasn't a fan of hockey in like 2004 with the last year that it was on ESPN. So I don't really know how it used to be, but I'm so excited. And the last thing you mentioned was the NHL TV moving over to ESPN plus. That is something that I love. That's like something I extremely love and I'm excited for because I don't know. I don't have NHL TV. I don't pay for that because I just watch I, I watch all the games I need to on MSG or or stream the rest. But to be able to ESPN Plus, it's five ninety nine a month. That like that's something uh, most people I can say can handle and will. And, and it's going to bring so much publicity to the game. Like you said, besides the money aspect, to be able to just click a button in on ESPN, an app that most people already use, have watch on cable. It's going to be great, man. It, there, there's going to be so many great, so many games on at all times. And even the four Stanley cup and the conference finals, that's awesome. I, I can't wait. I cannot wait for hockey on ESPN. I, I didn't know if I would ever see it, but here we are. And, and I really can't wait. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'll be interested to see who they bring along um, in terms of, of names for analysts and play by play. Gary Thorne is, is well over 70 now. He he's retired from, going around he, for a long time, though. He, he's retired from the Orioles, which makes me think he's not going to come back and do national hockey because the Orioles are like his favorite thing in the world. Um, so it makes me think he's not going to come back and do national hockey, which is a shame. 
I saw um, a report that said he, he'd be interested <clears throat> in talking, though. And I talking. know. I saw that, too, but I'm just very skeptical. Yeah. Um, he's he's the voice of the first NHL video game I ever played. So I think that that is kind of why he's ingrained in my head more than anything. Um, and, of course, he's been the voice of the Orioles. Not that I watch a lot of Orioles games, but I've watched the Orioles forever. Um, we'll see that. If NBC ends up getting the B deal, all of those people would presumably stay with ESPN, whether it's Brendan Burke, John Forslund, Kenny Albert, um, Catherine Tappan, all, the, all those people who uh, – Patrick Sharp, Anton Carter, all those people who we've come to know over there would presumably stay there. Steve Levy is obviously still with ESPN. He was part of the NHL package. John Butchie, Gross, Barry Melrose. So they'll start there, and they'll presumably get some more people to come in and do that. So it'll it's be a lot of fun for sure. All right, so that's going to do it for this week. Uh, a big week of all hockey, um, especially for the Islanders coming up. Uh, so we'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Uh, for Mike Messina, I'm Chris Hennessy. We'll see you then.